at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Fourth of July week. It just, it's going to be not the Fourth of July when you hear this, as that was yesterday, and we haven't had it recorded yet, but it was relatively recently. Welcome to the biggest wasted week in the calendar when Fourth of July is on a Wednesday. Uh, it's it's a lot. It's it's so it's it's so rough. Like today felt like a Monday, but. <laughs> Tomorrow's Friday. It's just like a weird. It just felt very weird today. Yeah, we really just should have taken the week off. Yeah, just punt on this week. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, we can't punt on everything though because, admittedly, we are you know fully kind of in the throes of Syracuse football previews. I uh, on Tuesday I wrapped up our uh, opponent previews that we started back in April. Uh, camp should be starting in a few weeks. And uh, Dan, Syracuse's quarterback situation is pretty damn good right now. And, you know, Brent Axe and I were talking about it on the radio today, actually. It's tough to really compare to, like, the 1998 situation that Dino Babers brought up. But nonetheless, like, this is a really promising group. And I think for the first time in a while, there's not necessarily this sense of panic, you know, about what happens if Eric Dungy uh, gets injured. And I know you and I have talked about this a little bit. But figured, you know, while we're getting into the preview stuff, might as well discuss it a little bit more and, and reacclimate everybody with the uh, with the quarterback situation on the roster. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a pretty advantageous spot with the quarterbacks. Obviously, we, I think we hope that we don't need to go much past Eric Dungy, um, aside from like getting Tommy DeVito some work in uh, if we're up big or I guess down big, I, I, hypothetically. But overall, like I think we're pretty comfortable with the first three guys on the depth chart, which is a really nice place to be. There are not very many college football programs that can say that. Um, because even Red's Culpepper, I mean, obviously he's re- recovering from from his cancer battle, uh, which he seems to be on the on the right end of now. But like I thought, he looked pretty good last year. And if he's your third string quarterback uh, behind uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the league, plus you know a really highly touted uh, redshirt freshman, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, same. I mean, you know, we've discussed like. Everybody has been willing to kind of move DeVito, uh, you know, right ahead of Culpepper um, on the depth chart uh, since DeVito arrived on campus. And while, yeah, you know, the recruiting numbers might bear that out, like Culpepper really didn't do half bad last year. I mean, he threw for a decent amount of yards. He had, what, I think over 500. He had 280 in that one game against Boston College to end the season. Um, He completed 60% of his passes. He threw two touchdown passes. Like, no, those aren't like you know record-setting numbers by any means, but he obviously ha- was gaining more and more command of the offense um, as the season went on. He was prone to some mistakes here and there, but you know most players thrown into their first bit of action usually are. I, I think that you know don't want to necessarily sell him short. I, I don't necessarily know what Dino Babers and the staff see in terms of action for him, uh, given the fact that he's recovering from chemo. Obviously, he's practicing already with the team, but you know you don't want to rush somebody back from something like that. So. We'll see what his availability looks like. 
Um, but between, again, you know, him and DeVito alone, I think DeVito, probably a little bit more accurate on paper, at least, than, than Culpepper. Uh, I think in, you know, spring practice, he was able to fit stuff into some pretty tight windows. It seemed like he was, he was pretty accurate, um, you know, in spring game action. I, I think in general, a lot of people like his upside. I, I think, though, again, I think Culpepper, if he can put a little less air under the ball in certain uh, cases, uh, he did seem like a pretty accurate passer. Dungy, obviously, um, is going to be your starter, though, and it's all going to depend on this offensive line in front of him. So we'll get to the offensive line in a few weeks, but for now, um, I do think that Dungy ends up being a much, much more accurate passer this year because he has uh, you know time in the pocket and has an offensive line that's going to be able to protect him when last year uh, it was a little bit younger of a unit and, and not necessarily the most experienced one either. And he's going to year three of the system where um, a lot of these guys have come up in it um, since we're going to have, I think, a pretty good array of young still position players uh, around him. It's it's just like, you know, this should be the, the time where this, this program starts to meld under where Baber's uh, offense is, even with like, a pretty new young crop of receivers because they're guys that were coming in and recruited for this uh, system in particular. Um, you know, hopefully we, we, we have the steams well, uh, drawn up well and we're, you know, getting guys open that way. And, and overall, I think Dungey's always been, you know, I, I don't know that he has like the perfect, like ball for ball accuracy, but I think generally like his accuracy has been, been relatively good. And he just like overall, like while he, he can be a little bit uh, of a risk taker, um, he makes pretty good decisions with the ball most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, he's. I mean, he's one of the most excited players in the league. Hopefully, we can finally get a full year out of him. <laughs> that, uh, you know, I feel pretty good about the fact that he's not coming off of head injuries. It's you know other stuff this time, but it should be fully you know to, to go for the season. So, um, yeah, I think uh, if like it, it's nice if you're gonna have one position that's like a, a verify you know verifiable strength compared to the rest of the conference, uh, you'd probably pick quarterback. So. You know, if you get really great quarterback play all year, it'll take Syracuse pretty far. So hopefully, we we get the full season into Dungey. We get to see a little bit of what Devito can do. Uh, Culpepper, you know, obviously, his health is the most important thing. But I, I think we, you know, all are pretty high on him in terms of you know at least a depth die, if not more. Uh, so overall, like it's it's pretty easy to be bullish on this group. Yeah, I mean, I really like what Dungey, uh, you know, has done in most of his time at Syracuse. But I think under Babers. Uh, He's shown an ability to make great decisions. There, there are some, you know, moments where maybe that's not the case. Um, weather's been a factor. Injuries have been a factor. I think last year, to be honest, like, you saw some of those numbers get derailed a bit from an accuracy standpoint once he sustained the ankle injury. Uh, I think once he started taking too many hits, you and I talked about it in season, how just over time, you know, if you're, if you're getting hit 15, 20 times a game as a quarterback, like, at, at some point it's going to take its toll, uh, whether it's, you know, on your legs, on your arms, shoulders, your throwing motion, hand, whatever, like, you know, and, and Dungy took his, his licks yet again last year, I think this year, having that protection in front of him, and, and hopefully he's able to really follow through on that, you know, promise to run a little bit less, um, or at least run a little bit safer, that's where he can become a more accurate passer. I think with the extra protection, um, we should be able to see both quicker and more accurate throws, but also let plays develop here and there. I think last year, one of the biggest problems for Dungy and, and every Syracuse quarterback that hit the field was allowing those um, those deeper routes to develop. Um, Steve Eshmael was not necessarily a deep threat. Um, Jamal Custis was never really on the field enough to become a deep threat. Irv's not a deep threat. Um, so you, you had this, this lack of ability to really get defenders away from the, the line of scrimmage, and, and we saw as the season wore on, 
Um, opposing defenders were able to really kind of, you know, stack things within five yards of the line of scrimmage because, you know, so few of those passes were going beyond the five, ten yard mark. You had a couple of big gains here and there, but that was really it. Like last year, um, SU averaged 6.5 yards per completion versus it was 7.4 the year before. So that's a pretty steep, uh, you know, dip. It doesn't seem like it from just a pass-to-pass standpoint, but on the co- over the course of the season, if you complete 300 passes, uh, gaining 0.9 fewer yards per um, does really add up pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I, part of that's because the offensive line struggles, but I also think uh, Amba was you know, such a, a really ridiculous deep threat. I mean, obviously Ishmael put together an awesome season last year as did Irv, but they weren't the same kind of player. So just the team wasn't the, the dynamics of the, of the receiving core last year wasn't kind of built for that. Um, but overall, like you want to see, especially uh, yards per completion, you definitely want to see higher than, uh, than like in the sixes, even with an offense like this, that can, you know, get a bunch of quick hitters. Yeah. I think this, this year's offense is going to be interesting. And, and you and I have mentioned this before, like, you have a lot of options. None of them are necessarily all that proven, um, but that could be an advantage for Dungy or whoever else is throwing the football because now you, you don't have this clear kind of line from to, to one or two receivers. Two years ago, you know, Etatawo and, and, uh, and Phillips caught, you know, the lion's share of the passes. They caught, you know, over 180 passes between the two of them. Last year, uh, Steve Ishmael and uh, Irvin Phillips combined for, you know, over 190 receptions. Like, while it's great to have players that can do that, it also makes your offense fairly one-dimensional. And we saw that at the end of the year, especially when, you know, Zach Mahoney, Rex Culpepper were under center. There really wasn't anybody else to throw the ball to. So I think this year, you know, Ravian Pierce uh, should be one of the best tight ends in the conference. That's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he factors in since the system doesn't necessarily cater to tight ends as passing targets. Obviously, we've got Devin Butler, um, who's experienced but inconsistent. Uh, Custis, we'll see if he can stay healthy. Nikeem Johnson got some burn last year, and I think he could be an interesting uh, Irvin Phillips replacement. You know, Sherrod Johnson, Cameron Jordan, Sean Riley, RTB. Like, these are all guys who are going to see the field. Ed Hendricks, uh, probably one of the only true freshman receivers who could potentially see the field this year. But there are a lot of options out there, and I really hope that this offense starts spreading the ball around a little bit more because that's going to make it more versatile. Like, I'd rather have one guy catch maybe Fifty to sixty passes, and then have another, you know, three to four guys you can catch twenty to thirty, and I think that might make a more make for a more interesting passing game. No, I totally agree. I, I think, I mean, that's what we're going to need. Just I don't think we're going to get that dominant performance. And someone might, you know, step up and put us wrong. We obviously didn't. Last two years, uh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ishmael, like we we thought would be good, we didn't think it was going to be what it was. But you know, so maybe maybe Ravian Pierce turns in a thirteen hundred yard season. And uh, go for it, man. <laughs> we look for it, and, and this sounds stupid, but overall, like I think it's more likely that we're we're doing the more well-rounded. Um, you know, everyone's chipping in. You have you know a number of different guys who can, depending on matchups, play a big factor. It just seems more likely based on what we know right now. So yeah, no, I, I think that would definitely be a good thing because you want to keep defenses off, uh, you know, unbalanced and and unsure of who the ball is going to versus the last couple of years, like. While the receivers, you know, won those battles a lot of the time, um, you know, you still want to keep the defense on its toes. You know, who's one guy on the roster who would really pay a lot of dividends this year is uh, Tristan Jackson. Now, he can't play this season, but, you know, he's he's a speedy guy, 6'1", like 185, 190 pounds. Like, he's somebody who I kind of wish we had access to this year because I feel like he'd be able to plug right in and be your kind of Ishmael replacement and and be on the outside, catch eighty to ninety balls, 
Um, we'll have to wait on him for next year, but definitely think he might be the best suited for this role that, that, that we've seen in the past. So, so maybe just maybe like not having him this year could pay dividends next year, even if things look a little rough around the edges for the first part, a few games this season, as we figure out kind of who our primary targets are. Yeah, I buy that. I, I think it's we're gonna. I think we know a lot about this offense in terms of. I mean, the offensive line is, is a pretty well known commodity at this point. Obviously, quarterback is a very well known commodity. Uh, receiver, you know, we've been talking about it a lot this offseason. It's it, that's really where most of the questions are, and there are a lot of answers. It's just a matter of finding the right ones. Like we we've named, you know, how many guys in this podcast already. It's just finding like kind of the 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 right grouping. Um, and I chose Babers to do that because he's done that everywhere he's been. So. Uh, I'm not super worried about it. And overall, like if you have the quarterback, I think that's like the number one place to start. Uh, so with Dungy, I think we're, we're in pretty good hands. Yeah, I'd agree. You know who else could play an interesting part in the passing game? And I'm really kind of, I think we saw glimpses of it last year. Uh, Dante Strickland, a guy who I've regularly nominated to move to receiver, um, not for his lack of ability at running back, just because I think he's better suited for it. Um, I, I think, you know, Baber's system hasn't necessarily used a ton of, uh, passing out of the backfield uh if only because like usually they have four and five wide receivers out there you don't necessarily need to start with the target that's behind the line of scrimmage when you have four guys you know just kind of streaking down the field but I think what we saw out of out of Strickland as a receiver last year is enough to make me think that we see a little bit more of that um and a little more of the running backs getting involved in the pass game this year yeah and I think it made sense for him to be involved in the passing game particularly because um, he is also the best blocker of that group, so you can kind of have him in there without telling, you know, whether he's in a leak out from the backfield or stay in the block because he is probably the most versatile guy outside of just running the ball. I would agree. And we'll get more into running backs next week, so I don't want to give away too much there. Um, talking a little bit more about uh, just Syracuse stuff in general before we get into the Big 12 preview that we'll be inhabiting the second half of this podcast. Demetrius Nichols joined the... Uh, the roster for Bayheim's army. And I think that uh, this team is going to be very interesting and, and very entertaining. Um, I think they might just need another pure big man, but otherwise I, I really like this group this summer. Yeah. I think they've been learning like kind of how, what works in this tournament. Um, and Nichols is an interesting addition. Obviously he provides some extra outside shooting. He's interesting because he's like kind of outside of the, the general group of players that we've been going from. It's mostly been like the 2000, 10 to 2000, like, till, like, the most recent guys. Right. Uh, so he's a little older. Um, I don't think he's played with Bam's Army before, has he? This is, he's brand new? I know he had some older guys. Uh, 2015, he was there. Okay, all right. So, yeah, I thought he might be. Um, but overall, it's a nice addition. I, I think shooting's always good. When they were hinting at it, I was I was kind of hoping for Routens, which I think is, like, the one guy who uh, has, like, been not really floated by, by anyone associated with the team, but, like, the one guy who hasn't played with the hands army yet, who you like would kind of like to see, but Nichols, you know, feels a role pretty well too. Um, but it is interesting with him being a slightly older guy. Yeah. I mean, between him and Warwick, like the two of them should be become the elder statesman of the team. I, I think, you know, like you said, like the, one of the biggest benefits for us is that there are so many guys who played together either like in practice as like one of them was coming into the program. The other one was leaving or like, enough of these guys hang around Syracuse, obviously Devo's with the team now. So it, it becomes this really kind of cohesive group. And, and because so many of them return year after year that I really like, 
um, where they stack up comparatively. I mean, there's plenty of other alumni teams, but I still think Syracuse is, does play that part of things really well. Um, there was good news for us, at least, last week. I know, um, I forgot his name, but uh, Overseas Elite's coach uh, is no longer with the team. And Overseas Elite has been kind of everybody's uh, nemesis through the There'd last be, yeah, three or four three years. Three-time reigning? Three-time reigning champs of the basketball tournament. Yeah, so I don't know how much of an impact he has directly, right. but obviously um, I think the three-time defending champs would rather have their coach than not, uh, <laughs> considering you know he's been there the whole time. So, yeah, I think that was pretty good news, considering we are one of the, the main uh, rivals for them uh, to four-peating. So, um, yeah, I was definitely not too upset about seeing that. No. Granted, I have no idea how he is coached. Like, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I mean, most of these guys are, uh, are grown adults on a temporary team. I don't necessarily think they need too much interference on the coach's front. But it's also like not super reasonable to like assume a coach can like get that much done in how short a period of time these like training camps are. Like, obviously, you want to like draw some quick stuff up, but it's not like you know you're installing this like month long system. No, I mean, and that's the other you know really good thing from a cohesion standpoint for for Bayheim's army is that there is this system that kind of spans across several generations of players that, that you don't really have to try very hard to, to implement, you know, if you're Ryan Blackwell. Like, all you just kind of go, all right, like, play the zone that you know how to play and and just make sure that everyone's still up on it, and then you just kind of, you know, proceed while everybody else... You're not going to implement a, compl- uh, a really, like, complicated system, but you're still going to have to... You're still going to have to maybe get everybody's habits in line with one another's while I feel like at least... With uh, with Beheim's army, everybody's habits are already there. It's just a question of like waking them up. Uh, well, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel pretty good about it because we we're like in. I mean, what year of this are we in now? Is this the fourth year? I think that we've this had is, teams. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like we at this point we kind of know who the teams are, and it's like you know I'd say like two thirds of the same roster. So I think year over year, I mean, we definitely saw it last year. Like the team really came together. So it's it's definitely been a growing thing, and hopefully we can finally win this this damn tournament <laughs> i really hope you know what I, I do think that we have enough shooters this time like yeah if you just look up and down the roster like we have distributors we have shooters like there are like i mean like you said routins is really the only guy missing from well, routins and like i maybe coon like good trevor cooney not 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 hair pulling trevor cooney but like having you know devendorf gillen sutherland demetrius nichols like having all those guys on the roster like that's a really good group from like mid-range to outside and there's probably not a lot of teams in this field that have that many shooters plus you know having Paul Harris this time around and his size having Chris Joseph having Hakeem Warwick having Deshante Riley in the middle you know having Trish as a distributor like that to me like just this seems like on paper one of the if not the most well-constructed team they've, they've had so far. Yeah, I think every year the roster constructions has gotten better as we've learned like more about what works. Now, I do wonder if the uh, what the impact of the change system uh, to the uh, uh, I can't remember we talked about it a few oh, weeks that ago. Elam ending um, thing. The Elam ending. I do wonder like if I, I guess well the way it's constructed, there shouldn't be a huge uh, change. Um, although maybe it emphasizes three point shooting a little bit more because you can kind of end the game a little quicker. But right. overall, like uh, I, I do wonder if that has a major impact, but. You know, it's tough to tell until we've actually seen it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not going to extrapolate out. I uh, I know that uh, some people noticed last week that uh, Georgetown lost in round one. Oh, I, I actually thing. missed that. That's amazing. Good for yeah. them. <laughs> like, of course you but, did. Just keeping up traditions. 
keeping up with traditions and just making sure you just you don't ruin anybody they were playing else's team. Uh, they were playing the Mar- no St. John's was playing the Marquette team I think they played right? St. Hall's team they might have lost. How did they get thrown in a playing game? <laughs> well, because they did. They did this because they they self like they seated the committee seated everybody and didn't have the voting this time around. So did they kind of screw those teams over? Yeah. So so okay. so they basically yeah they basically set up like a <laughs> like they set up like a Big East like mini bracket for playing games. I would guess the the Marquette team probably is. I mean, did they? I don't know if they won or not. I didn't pay attention the first weekend. But uh, the Marquette team like has been in it more, so I think they probably have the, the biggest uh, argument to be annoyed. Georgetown, I don't think, had a team last year, and if they did, they didn't do anything. So no, who cares? They, uh, yeah, they did not. They're... I don't believe they did, and I think some of those players were in it. But I know that there were, yeah, there were like a couple like random playing brackets where you had like the West Regional Pod that was pretty much like West Coast Conference plus Utah and Air Force. Then you had they decided to make a Big East like regional pod to just like screw over all these teams. And, and so, which is, I, I don't know if it's the best strategy for the tournament. Cause like the, the all night teams seem to be like the biggest draw, but I'm not going to argue with screwing over Georgetown or any of the I'm always, teams. I'm always really. for that. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. yeah. That Marquette team stares the hell out of me. So I'm okay with like giving them extra games. Yeah. And they're in our bracket actually. Yeah, I know. Um, again, I don't know if they won last week or not. I they, they did. did. Uh, Seton Hall beat Georgetown. Which is like really bad team. Like, who came up with these? Na- like, I, I I get why Georgetown's Jack Attack, but that's still stupid. Uh, <laughs> Seton Hall was Hall in, and no, that's not good. No, uh, Marquette's just the Golden Eagles. Didn't even try. Um, and then St. John's just the Johnnies. Uh, that's a nice throwback reference, I guess. Um, and yeah, then Marquette smoked Seton Hall in the final. That makes sense. I think that Marquette team is like pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good. I remember them from last year because I think it's most of the same guys. It's like all those Buzz Williams players. Yeah, so they're going to be good. Um, then they also did like a random South Regional thing, and that's that's really it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if I was the Big East teams, I'd be pretty pissed off. But whatever. <laughs> they also did the Big East Northeast pod in uh, at Marquette. Yeah, I remember seeing, like, highlights uh, being at Marquette, so at least they got that. Yeah, so, like, yeah, they, they decided to give Marquette a couple, like, home games. Or, or you know, have them play Wisconsin and then not call it. And then not remark that they haven't left the state of Wisconsin for weeks on end. <laughs> you know, those types of things. It is weird that we have such a big layoff, because it's, like, a couple of weeks now until Syracuse plays, right? Yeah, we don't play until, like, the 21st. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, I was confused because I saw, like, the first game coming up, people were, like, a couple people tweeted at me, like, asking what, if I was going to the games. I'm like, wait, is that this weekend? No. I was, yeah. I was very relieved that it was not. I will actually not um, even be around for the first weekend of games. I will be taking a slight vacation to uh, to Palm Springs. Nice. So uh, I will I will hopefully get to those games in Brooklyn, at least the Sunday games, if we, you know, assume we make it through the Saturday or the Friday or whatever it is. We better. So, fingers crossed. Yeah. I'm not super worried about it. I think we have a, a relatively easy draw early. Agreed. Yeah, I didn't see the exact team, but we should be fine. I'm not I'm not too worried about the early rounds. Famous last words, but... Yeah. Anyway, uh, more basketball while we're here in the first half of things. Um, there's been some NBA free agency movements. Uh, Jeremy Grant didn't sign as big of a deal as we probably thought he would, but he did re-sign with OKC. 
Um, he'll be back on a three-year, $27 million deal. Uh, that's pretty awesome for him. I think it speaks pretty highly uh, to the type of athlete he is, but also to the fact that Syracuse can keep players in the league. It had been a while, obviously, like Deion Waiters is just considered by everyone to not really be... He doesn't belong to anyone. He's just Deion Waiters. He just belongs to Deion University. But uh, he... Uh, obviously, Deion signed a really big deal. Uh, I think people associate him less with Syracuse. They try to associate the bad stuff with Syracuse, but not the good stuff. I feel like with Jeremy Grant, people actually admit that he did go to Syracuse, uh, which is fine at me. Uh, we mentioned that Mello um, opted in. He's on that wave, though. He's, he's definitely going to get... Is he going to get stretched, though? I think they're just going to try to negotiate a buyout. Uh, it sounds like they'll probably stretch him, because I think if they stretch him, they'll save... It's like $90 million. Like a ridiculous amount of money on that luxury tax bill that they owe, yeah. which is insane for that team. But Yeah, that's not the market to have a luxury tax bill like that. No, it's not the market, it's not the roster. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, you're... Especially now, like, you're not, you're not making the finals, so... It's not a bad roster, but it's not the roster to pay $300 million for. If, I, if I'm OKC, I, I try to use the savings to bribe Silver to put us in, like, the Southeast Division. <laughs> Just swap us out with, like, Atlanta or something. Nobody will notice. I mean, really, it should be Memphis and – I've thought about this a lot. It should be Memphis and, um, I think – New Orleans? Minnesota, maybe, that it swapped. I know – well, yeah. Well, Memphis – Milwaukee needs to be in the West – or maybe that's it. It's Memphis should be in the East and Milwaukee should be in the West. Yeah, that, that's really like the big one, just because Memphis has to spend so much time on the road. I mean, the one good thing, at least for the uh, for the NBA, is that you don't really play a ton of divisional games anyway. So, like, it's not as bad as hockey was at one point, where like when they had the six division hockey structure, where like Dallas was in the Pacific Division and would have to play like eight games a year against like the Kings, the Ducks. And they spent all their game. I mean, when Detroit, when the Red Wings were in the uh, Western Conference uh, there, they'd have to play so many games, you know. I mean, Detroit's Eastern time zone, and they'd have to play so many games on Pacific time that, like, most, their fans couldn't well, even watch most of their games. Yeah, that's brutal. Uh, and also, just like in the NBA, no one cares about the divisions at all. Like, yeah, they're, they're they care about individual rivalries, like, sometimes. But I feel like the rivalries inside of, like, Celtics, Lakers, and even that, like, it all depend on who's there. But... Like, they switch from year to year based on, like, the teams, but not, like, it's not like the, the franchises have these crazy rivalries that last forever, so. Yeah. There's a couple yeah, of regional I, ones, like, the, the, Nets, the Nets and Knicks try. That, yeah, because they're right there. Yeah, um, and, like, the Knicks, Knicks fans hate the Celtics, the Celtics don't care about the Knicks. Like, as a Nets fan, like, growing up through, like, Jason Kidd years, there were, like, different times where, like, the Pacers, Sixers, and Celtics all felt like rivals, but then, like, you know, the team's completely change and then and you know some fall out of contention some come in contention and then it's it's like it's based on like the the like set of years so like right now you have that wizard Celtics thing but like in a couple of years no one will care about that right no i i mean because of when i grew up like i still hate the miami heat and i still hate the pacers just as a knicks fan but like yeah i mean i don't think anybody on those teams i, I don't think most rational fans and i wouldn't really consider myself to be in that group <laughs> um would really care much about the heat or pacers anymore right until, like, you know, a couple, you know, the, the the right set of players that's there, and then you play in the playoffs a couple times in a row, and then it becomes a thing, and it, it just, like, ebbs and flows, except for a couple of these rivalries, like, obviously Celtics-Lakers. Totally. Um, but, yeah, if you, if Melo decides, well, if Melo gets waived or, or, or stretched, 
where do you see him signing? Because the, the most likely destination that people have pointed out, uh, the Lakers, doesn't really seem like they have the money to bring him in the door anymore. And they don't have the money because they, I mean, I don't really... They wasted I, it I on really, Rajon Rondo. I don't mind those signings because they're all for one year, but mm. and I also don't think Melo would have been a good fit for that team because right. it seems like they're going to try to play more up-tempo still. Like, I don't think they're going to change their whole system for LeBron. It sounds like they're going to try to play how they're playing. Um, Obviously not, but he decided to sign all of his enemies on one roster. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, they're not they're not signing, like, it's not they're not building this team like the old LeBron Cavs teams. Right. They're building it, like, the way they were already building it, plus they added LeBron. So um, I don't expect this to be, like, a slow-down half-court team. No. Um, and Melo can't play in, like, a, a, a pace and – I wouldn't even call it pace and space, but <laughs> because there's no spacing on that team right now. But uh, I don't think Melo's going to be able to play with, you know, the, the way that, like, Lonzo Ball's going to run the team. It just doesn't fit. So, I don't know. Like, it's tough to really project because he's, he's just – he had such a weird year this year, um, and he's such a specific still set. But I assume he'll want to go to a contender. Um, like, who's got the rooms? I mean, like, yeah, not to, like, harp on the Lakers, but, like, the Lakers couldn't have fit Melo for one. Two, they really should have kept Randall for the same price as Rondo, but whatever. I mean, like, the Bulls have room, but they're not a contender. And they're not going to want to add Melo. No. Like, it doesn't make sense. The King, it'll probably be the Kings. They'll probably end up a King, which will suck. Um, they're, like, they're like a handful of teams uh, with tap room. Uh, but they're all, like, I don't think any of them are, like, super contenders right now. I've tried to make the case that the Knicks oh, need to get has, uh, Sp- Apparently, Spotrack has has a tap space uh, thing. Oh. I didn't realize. Spotrack's, like, sneakily one of the most useful websites. Oh, I love um, anywhere that tells me what like salary information because the NBA salary situation needs to be broken down like by a scientist for anyone to like really figure out what's going on. So there are eight teams right now with any that are in the pot like have any cap space practical. What Spotrack is calling practical cap space. Right. Um. So which of these makes sense? The Bulls? No. No. The Hawks? No. No. The Kings it would be a very Kings thing to do. <laughs> oh, extremely Kings. Um, the Pacers is interesting. Eh, it's not going to fit. I don't think it's a great fit, but at least... All the like, needs of, the ball. Yeah. Um, he would have to be... The other problem is, like, does he want to be a role player? The Mavericks have cap space. I don't think it's a fit. No, the Mavs want to contend. The Suns have cap space. It's absolutely not a fit. That's the thing. The Mavs and Suns... I mean, the Suns need to contend because they've told themselves they need to contend. The Mavs need to contend because if they don't, they're forfeiting that pick. In the lottery, so like they need. I mean, Kings too, to be honest. Like Kings and this and Dallas might actually do it. Well, Kings will do it because they want to trick themselves into contending. Dallas could actually contend right now if they make like one more like savvy a, signing, yeah, like an eight seed. Yeah, I think Dallas is going to be sneakily one one of the most interesting teams um, in the league this year. And then the last two teams that have any cap space, but it's very little, are the Lakers and the Seventy Sixers. The Sixers would be interesting. That would never happen. I, I don't think it will happen, and I think he would. The, the fit there would be like coming in second unit when they're slowing it down, because like he's not going to play on that. Like, I just don't see him fitting alongside what that like Simmons led team is right now. But in the half court, you know, I think it'd be interesting. I just, uh, like, so I don't see any of those happening. Zane, bring him the Knicks. Sign in, like let's. I, I want to see what would make this happen because I want to see it happen. Like either either trade Cantor back or. Or, oh, they're or never the, trading cancer back. No, they're not. But, but but the better option to me, trade Hardaway, 
Hardaway and Lee have two years, including this coming season, left on their salaries. That adds up to about $26 million. Send that to Oklahoma City for a like second rounder and like who's at, whoever's at the back end of their bench on a, who's already on like a one year deal. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think the Knicks thing just ended so like I just can't see him wanting to go back like at this point based on how things ended. Oh, I agree with that, but I think he'd rather if he's only going to spend one year somewhere. I think he'd rather go to New York than Sacramento. You would hope because it's still bored. <laughs> yeah, Sacramento is just where like. Everything goes to die. I've I've spent a decent amount of time in Sacramento, and uh, I I can concur. Poor Lady Bird. Um... <laughs> anyway, um, why don't we do a little halftime, then we can get into uh, the Big Twelve football talk that you know half the listeners aren't going to want to hear about. Cool. So, uh, what have you been drinking? I had a, a decent amount over the holiday, the weekend slash the holiday. Like you might want to say a holiday weekend because it feels like it was. It right. wasn't. It's stupid calendar. <laughs> um, so let's see. What did I have that was unique? Um, I had a Molotov cocktail from Evil Twin, which I believe I've had, brought up before. Uh, it's like a pretty strong, I think they call it triple IPA. I know it's not like actually a thing, but that's what they call it. Um, and it's, you know, what you would imagine just very, very high, you know, impact, flavorful, really full, flavor, uh, you know, complex I had uh, a beach from Doza from Blue Point, uh, which was actually very good, um, super refreshing. Um, I'm not usually, I feel like the last couple of times I've actually had a like, kit pretty well with Blue Point when the first double stuff things I had from them I wasn't a huge fan of, but I thought this was quite good. Um, and also, like, plum was, like, an interesting flavor you don't usually see uh, with beers. I had uh, Honey Spot uh, Road IPA, which I bring up a decent amount for two roads. Um, I had a double IPL from Von Trapp Brewing, uh, which was really good. Um... Great reference. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, that's up in Vermont. I had it up in, uh, I was in Saratoga for a day, uh, just on a whim, visiting people for the fourth. Uh, I had a couple things from Peak Still. Um, their Simple Sour was fine, it, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill sour. And then I had their uh, Big Big Love, which was a say, uh, farmhouse Saison, you know, pretty solid Saison, uh, nothing like crazy. Um, I had a Pineapple Bombo from Chatham Brewing. Uh, which I believe is uh, Massachusetts, I imagine. Um, really good. Uh, pineapple flavor was like really well balanced with the with the, the double IPA, which was nice. Um, and then I think the best thing I had this week was uh, the Smash o- 009 Turo and Nelson Sauvin uh, from Upstate Brewing, uh, which I had earlier in the week watching some of the World Cup games. That was, they do like a, a long, I guess they have a, a running like set of these IPAs uh, with various different hop varietals. This one was really, really delicious. And it's one of the first things I've had from upstate, um, which is in Elmira. Uh, and I don't usually find their stuff down here, but this was really delicious. So if you see that, it, it said it was out of uh, production when I looked on Untapped, but uh, one, one bar from me, uh, by me had it in, in New York City. So it, you could probably find it somewhere. And this was really, really good. Nice. Uh, I have a decent amount of stuff myself. Um, I had a bottle of uh, St. Arnold Pumpkinator sitting around. I thought, why not give it a shot? Definitely not the right season for it, but still worked out. Um, had some Little Bow Pills from Smog City. Grabbed a six-pack of uh, Luponic Distortion uh, from uh, Firestone Walker. Super, super good. They had their like, kind of quarterly um, IPA release. 
that they you know try out different hops with different flavor profiles uh this one was just extremely light like only 5.9 percent uh abv super fresh um like German and Australian hops kind of tasted like mango and peach and grapefruit, like a lot, a lot of really bright flavors, summery flavors going on. Uh, this was like infinitely crushable to, uh, to grab some, uh, beer blogging parlance. Um, definitely, uh, recommend this one to anyone who's in the Firestone Walker, uh, distro area. Cause again, super, super good. I, uh, I'll definitely be grabbing more of this while it's still uh, fresh out there. I know I got this one within a few weeks of bottling and, uh, Definitely did not disappoint. Um, what else did I have? I had a Pivo Pills from Firestone because I had some of that sitting around. Uh, went over to Smog City. Uh, I mention them all the time. They're down in Torrance. They have a new uh, patio at the brewery. So now there's like a little bit of outdoor space. Bring the dogs. Kind of hang out. Um, so tried a bunch of new stuff I hadn't had from them in a while. Um, had a gift card, actually, that uh, my sister had gotten me for my birthday back in January. And I finally got to finish it out. So got a couple flights. Got a new T-shirt. I had a had a pale lager uh, called Old Friends New Kicks that was super super good. Um, Should have gotten a growler of it. Uh, they had a red, white, and blue sour. It had boysenberries and currant and some other stuff in there. Uh, wow pops, uh, pale ale from them. Uh, Devil up a tree was a uh, really tart saison. Uh, a typo negative was a uh, beer that they brewed with beets. That was interesting. Um, and that was really it for me. So a bunch of different stuff, but most of it from the same, like, two breweries. Nice. It was indeed. And now we move on to the uh, the Big 12, a league that uh, that provides a lot of intrigue from, like, one through seven, and then not much else. Um, I think, well, I think that's fair. Um, I think the one through seven have shifted a little bit thanks to, like, Iowa State. Yeah. Go Clones. Um, and I think it depends on how you feel about Kansas State, which... Uh, I, I always put them at number seven because I always think that they're like, that they're a Bill Snyder uh, unfortunate health incident away from being pure garbage again. Yeah, um, that's probably not unfair considering what happened when he tried to retire the first time. Right. <laughs> which was not for health reasons, I don't believe. It was just, you know, he felt like Over he had it. done his thing and, and he had, and then uh, they hired Ron Prince. And then, and then they turn back into frogs. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have, I think at least like there's interesting storylines of all of these teams this year, yes. um, one through ten, honestly, because ten is Kansas, and Kansas is going to fire David Beatty probably in let's say we want to call I'm going to call week six. Let me let me check out the schedule. So I, can... I, I haven't looked at the schedule. I should probably do that, but that feels right, like mid October. That's usually I feel like. Like week week six is usually like when we get our first firings now. Well, real talk. If they lose in week one, he's 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 done. Who do they have? Do they have uh, an FCS. Nichols. Oh god, that'd if be they, hilarious. If they lose to Nichols, he's done. Um, they're at CMU. CMU, yeah, CMU Rutgers. They could definitely lose. Yeah, they could definitely. Lose. I mean, they're three and thirty-three under under him, and they're they weren't much better uh, under Weiss. So this has just been, and they weren't much better under Turner Gill either. So this has just been just like an awful run of coaches for them. Like. It's just a very difficult job. Problem is, like, why why bother going through this anymore? Like, if you're if you're them, Nichols is the only like win that you can probably count, and then everything else, like CMU, should be one of your easier opponents, and you have them on the road. You got Rutgers at home the next week, but like, if you don't, if you can't, if you can't win two out of three against Central Michigan, Rutgers, and Baylor, that's it. You're dead. 
Like, because look at the rest of that schedule from Oklahoma State on down. Like, they face all of their they face their four easiest opponents on the season in the first four weeks. And like, even Texas Tech, who's like the fifth easiest opponent, is on the road the week after. And I'm not even to West Virginia. Yeah, and I'm not even convinced they're going to be favored at like at Central Michigan. I think no. they probably will, but it's going to be CMU's by, a by a field goal, maybe. Yeah, I I think CMU is probably taking a step back even from what we saw last year. Yeah, but that doesn't mean the Kansas will beat them. <laughs> this is also true. And then Rutgers, like, you know, for all we make out of Rutgers, Rutgers is a much better team than Kansas. Oh, yeah. And Baylor um, should take a pretty big step forward this year. I don't think they'll be, they'll be great. But, yeah, I mean, they can't do much worse. And Rule's a good coach. So, like, yeah, I'd be shocked if they won more than two games. Uh, like, really shocked. Yeah, I but that's the thing, like, this is what I hate about, like, the college coaching structure in particular. Like, if you go into the season knowing that this that it's a lost year, just, like, just screw it. <laughs> like, just just call the season or or just, like, can the coach and move on. Like, see, see, see what you've got on – see what you've got on the roster in terms of actual coaching talent. Well, the problem was that they had an AD who was clearly on the hot seat. And he wasn't going to make a move like that. And then he just got fired, and they hired Jeff Long today when right. we're recording on, on Thursday – um, so BD's basically dead man walking as you'd expect already, but now there's a new AD. Um, so, I mean, I think honestly, like, unless he was to make a bowl, he'd be fired. Cause, uh, he, if they were to win five games this year, that'd be a huge step forward. But Everybody, it's not like, everybody's just... back. Yeah. But they're all so bad. I know they are also bad, but like, that's the thing. Like <laughs> just, just, just can BD and, and let Doug Meacham take the reins and let's see what he can do. That wouldn't be the worst idea, honestly. Um, <laughs> We we, we know Doug Beecham's a good coach. Yeah, and he got like basically bribed to go there. Exactly, um, like legitimately, like money, like huge money uh, for Kansas football. Um, it, it, it honestly wouldn't shock me if Beecham ended up being the coach next year, uh, based on BD getting fired after. I mean, I said week six. It's probably earlier, honestly. If they're like one and three through three, um, through four, uh, or. Maybe after the Oklahoma State game, because that'll probably be by, you know, a 70-point route. Um, it wouldn't shock me if, like, Meacham took over and they maybe, like, stole a game somewhere or they just looked better. And, and like, what's the market for Kansas football? I, there, there isn't one. I mean, that's the... I wrote up Brett Bielema today because, there's <laughs> you know, everyone said it, which makes sense because Long, Long was... I, I couldn't remember the timeline, so I had to look it up um, before I wrote the article. Like, Long got fired, like, nine days before Burt did, so he didn't fire him. And then obviously, and then Bielema have tweeted about it today. So clearly, they have they still have a, a pretty strong relationship. So I think Bert would be a pretty good hire for them. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think that that would be that that would be the best case scenario, really, uh, for them. I, I think Long obviously helps facilitate that a bit. The question is if he wants to be back in college, which it seemed like he was kind of over it after getting fired from Arkansas. Now, you know, getting a head coaching offer is a big thing. But, like, it kind of seems like he's happy, like, doing the, like, Patriots, like, helper out yeah, thing. The Patriots Whatever. rehabilitation tour. He's working for them somewhere. I don't know what his actual position is. I... Well, the Pats do the same thing that, that uh, Nick Saban does. Right. Like, yeah, they, they give you, like, a year in exile, and then you, like, bounce back. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, I feel like he might just, like, ride the NFL out for a little bit. But it wouldn't shock me if, if Lawn hooked him up with, like, a really nice deal. And, and then you have a very interesting thing, and this is so hypothetical because who knows if it would even happen, but then you actually have an interesting thing where Kansas is is trying to uh, go against the Big 12 grain and be, like, one of the few slower teams, um, assuming he went back to, like, his Wisconsin style versus, like, what he was trying to do at Arkansas at the end, which I think might not be the worst idea. 
Yeah, that's actually a pretty good idea, really. Um, I think that's my biggest fear for Syracuse and the ACC is that everyone else is kind of catching up to what Dino, what Dino's throwing down. So I hope we can I hope we can reach some sort of the potential before that happens. Um, but that, that that's a that's a topic for another podcast. Um, right. You know, I, I think if I think if Bert's over college football, like coincidentally, Kansas is as well. So this could be a perfect <laughs> marriage. Yeah, I mean, you could say, like, hey, Bert, uh, which I love that everyone just, like, knows that we're talking about Brett Bielema and his name's not Bert at all. Um, Bert, like, we're not college football. We're Kansas. It's They're, like, the, the I can't believe it's not butter of, of it's, Power 5. It's not HBO. <laughs> it's, not, it's not college football. It's yeah. Kansas. It's, not, it's like if HBO was, like, what's, like, the worst possible network for television? Uh, I mean, what, what did Spike TV, what did Spike TV turn into? No, actually, no, TLC is the worst possible network for television at this point. <laughs> it's not TV. It's TLC. Kansas yeah. football. Jayhawks. The, 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 the artists formerly known as the Learning Channel that, that when they uh, realized that nobody was learning anything on their, on their, their network, they changed the name of the, uh, of the network to just be TLC. It just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't stand for anything anymore. I always thought it was tender, loving care. But yeah. that also was not happening on that network. So. No. And again, Kansas football. It, it winds up. It works. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, the, I feel bad because, like, I felt like the David Beatty hire was like actually kind of forward thinking at the time. Was. They went for they went full recruiting, and like that wasn't the. I honestly don't think that was the worst idea. It just this job's so hard, <laughs> it just didn't work out. Well, it's hard, but then um, also like Beatty kind of like lost the plot a little bit by just saying like "screw it, we're going JUCO," and like really kind of like pivoted to that quickly to fix it, and, and actually respect that like Dino hasn't necessarily gotten like itchy about it. No, Dino's kind of just building it out as as he wants to see it. Like, right. and I, I, the other problem is like when you're can't when you're a Kansas school, like the the JUCOs are there, and that's how Kansas State did it, and that's how Kansas when they were pretty successful, that's how they were doing it. It's just it's just like it's it's not a, a super easy thing to pull off. Because um, some like you can't have misses in the, when you're recruiting JUCOs, and you just if you're going to build your team on them, like you're going to have some misses, and then it becomes a whole problem. Because your depth just takes a huge hit. I would agree. Um, so looking at the top of this conference, Dan, there's... I think people are more sold on Oklahoma than I necessarily am. You can prove me wrong. Feel free. I feel like any of the top four could win this conference, and I'm talking about Oklahoma, West Virginia, uh, TCU, and Texas. Um, I mean, Oklahoma's I, I out-recruited all of them of late. I will admit that. I agree. I think the problem is... TCU and Texas are just like we, we haven't seen them take that like step. I mean, TCU has been really good like in the recent past, but with this current roster, they've been kind of what they what they are. Texas obviously is like all on potential, and then West Virginia, they have the quarterback and Will Greer, but like they don't have the roster talent those other three do. Where Oklahoma is so stacked top to bottom on the roster, I'm not totally sold on Oklahoma just like plugging in Tyler Murray and being exactly what they were with Baker Mayfield, which. Some people have seemed to, like, weirdly... Everybody's seemingly just accepted that. Like, you lost the guy who's, like, Heisman Trophy winner, and, like, you, it, it's, it's the same thing with Louisville, where, like, everyone just ex- expects Louisville, like, yeah, you guys will be fine. Like, not necessarily. Like, it doesn't yeah, matter who you're replacing lo- him with. It's very easy to say Baker Mayfield's, uh, like, a assistant quarterback. Like, having watched I probably most of Baker Mayfield's uh, starts the last couple of years, that dude was not assistant quarterback. Like... 
he played within the system, but that man made some throws. Like, and, and it's just not going to be that easy for Kyler Murray to step in and, and do the exact same thing. And I think he's a super athlete, and he was really impressive when he did play last year. But it, it, it would be very shocking if he was, like, that close to what Mayfield did. Because those numbers Mayfield put up last year were phenomenal. And it wasn't just, like, compiling numbers. Like, you watched him, and it was, you, you knew you were watching a special player. Oh, yeah, they put a video game nonsense. And, like, now, what, Oklahoma returns, like, about half of their offense and about half of their defense? I mean, that's par for the course for a blue blood, but at the same time, like, I just feel like there's a lot to replace here and, like, there's just a bit too much for me to just, like, pencil them in. It's like, oh, yeah, you're you're going, you're winning 12 games again and you'll be in the playoff. Like, I don't know, like, have like West Virginia having Will Greer is the main reason why I like buy into them, but like West Virginia like seems like they're finally poised to like take that next step, and you know they host Oklahoma in the uh, regular season finale um, in the Big Twelve. And their defense has come along; like they're playing pretty opp- opportunistically on that side of the ball. Um, Greer is really good. Um, I know he's been like floated as a possible number one pick. I don't know that he's no. he's that, Hell but. No. He's a really good college quarterback. I mean, he proved it last year, and he proved it when he was at Florida. Um, they haven't had a quarterback since. Um, <laughs> Will yeah, Greer killed that, Florida. That's, a, that, that's when, like, the, the like that would have that really changed a lot for a lot of people, is the Will Greer suspension of Florida. Um, McElwain would probably still be there. And then Mullins probably still at Mississippi State unless he takes, like, one of these other jobs, Tennessee or Arkansas or something. But yeah, so West Virginia is interesting. I, I just think like the talent level isn't isn't where um, definitely Texas and Oklahoma are. Probably not where TCU is. But you have probably the best quarterback in the in the in the league. So it's I mean that makes up for a lot. Assuming that Mark Murray isn't actually like Baker, like half Baker Mayfield, or one of the Texas quarterbacks doesn't <laughs> like step into their blue chip uh, pedigree. Yeah, Texas is interesting. I do think they're a year away. I think they're just too young. Like on defense, they're they're there. That team is loaded with seniors on defensive end. I think you're seeing a lot more youth, though, on the offense that might make them a year away. Um, I think look out for Texas next season. TCU might also be a year away, if only because, like, they do replace almost the entire offense. They don't really know what they're getting out of the quarterback position. It might be Sean Robinson, a quarterback. He's just a sophomore. Like, I think all four teams could win it, but realistically, it's probably between Oklahoma and West Virginia here, um, just in terms of, like, the overall, the talent on the talent in terms of the starting players on the roster. I think in terms of the the talent on the overall roster, I think it's Oklahoma um, and then Texas a little bit further behind. Yeah, I almost expect the Mid Twelve to be the the odd conference out in the playoff picture this year. I, I'm not sold in Oklahoma being an 11 or 12 win team. Same. I yeah. think this. Yeah, I think this to be a year where you have a couple teams with two losses um, playing for the conference title, and in all likelihood that will. Uh, DQ the Big 12 from being in that four-team race, especially now that we have we have the precedent of, uh, of a multi-conference uh, or a multi-team representation from one conference at the SEC last year. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't pencil Oklahoma in to the playoff. Now, if Murray's really good, then it's a game-changer because then I think they're the clear favorite. But we have to see that because, like, he was awesome last year, but it was in garbage time against overmatched opponents. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. And it's also, like, it's not great for them. Like, Murray's a one-year guy. Like, you're essentially... You know, it's you're you're putting him in as like a senior for the first time versus like what they thought they had, which it's better than the alternative. Him just going to baseball, but um, I also wouldn't like necessarily put Murray in as a starter in Penn. I wouldn't be if if it's close. I wouldn't be shocked if Austin Kendall won that job. Yeah, 
I, I could definitely see that. I mean, I, I think, you know, Murray comes in with the hype that he had coming out of high school and all, but yeah, like, you know, let's see who else on the roster. Um, do you think... Do you think the most Big 12 thing to happen here would be like a three-way tie in second place or something? And then like Yeah, like Kansas State wins nine games out of nowhere. Yeah, like out of nowhere and then like beats Oklahoma <laughs> in the championship game in Dallas. That would be very Big 12. And then you get like a – what's the tiebreaker situation for like their championship game? Um, I believe after head-to-head, it's it's probably playoff ranking. <laughs> like that it makes used sense. to be. I mean, that's, what a lot, that's what a lot of conferences are using. Um, That's how Texas Tech got screwed back in 08. And it's it's a really dumb way to do it, considering it's, like, so predicated on... I mean, I know the playoff rankings can change a lot week to week, but, like, what we saw with UCF last year, like, if you're not starting high, like, you're just not in... It's it's not exactly like the AP and the coaches, but right. you're, you're always going to have inherent biases in some of these teams. Um, so, yeah, like, it... <laughs> The most Big Twelve thing would definitely be like a four way tie at the top, and then like two teams arbitrarily get through to the to the championship, and they're not the right two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely buy that. I guess speaking of that, um, of the next four, and I'd say the next four, we're all pretty sold on Oklahoma State, K State, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. Which of those teams randomly jumps up and wins like eight or nine? I love Iowa State. <laughs> like, I think last year they just were so much better than they should have been. And they it were got everybody back. Yeah, like now, uh, you, you could you could sell me on on regression to the mean uh, a little bit, but I don't think they were like that lucky last year. I think they were just pretty good. Um, having watched a bunch of those games, like I think they were pretty legit, and they return everyone, and that should offset a lot of that. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if they won eight or nine games. Um, I mean, look at their schedule. Uh, they obviously have Iowa out of conference. They're at Kinnick, which is really tough. Kinnick is just eats eats highly ranked teams. I don't know how highly ranked Iowa State will be, but um, I'm sure the Iowa fans will be up for that. And then they have Oklahoma week three, so that's a really tough back to back. The first half the of them is going to just dictate everything. Yeah, I mean they the first. I mean through October 13th, like that's it's it's about as tough a start as you can get. Obviously, you have Southern State and Akron in weeks one and four. But aside from that, it's at Iowa, Oklahoma, and then you have that Akron game, and then at TCU, at Oklahoma State, and then versus West Virginia. And they kind of cruise from there. Obviously, at Texas in November 17th isn't easy, and Kansas State to end the year isn't easy. But those first, like, seven weeks will really kind of uh, tell the tale here. Totally. And you know what? Like you said, you don't really know how lucky. They they also could have been a little unlucky, like looking at the scores. Like they lost to Iowa by three in overtime. They lost to Texas by ten. Yes, they beat Oklahoma by seven, but... Like, they also beat TCU by seven, but they lost to West Virginia by four, Oklahoma State by seven. Uh, they lost to Kansas State by one. Like Yeah, so, like, those, I mean, those are how many coin flip losses. Yeah, they could have been a 10-win team last year. And, and again, bring, all the, bring most of those guys back. I mean, there's some key defenders missing. But, like, otherwise, like, yeah, I, I, I could see Iowa State of all these teams, like, I, I think that, you know, Campbell knows what the hell he's doing, and I think he, I mean, he's not going to be there after this year if they win, Assuming if they win seven they or win more. Nine. I think if they yeah. win seven or more, I think he's gone. But again, like, but I guess like to where? We've talked about this before. Like, he's not going to the SEC in all likelihood. The Big Ten jobs are pretty much filled for the time being. Yeah, I mean, there's. I feel like there's always, especially now, because these things move so quickly, I Surprise I feel like there's opening. always a job that opens that you don't expect. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there'll be a spot for him, especially because he is coming from, like, the Big 12. 
Um, it wouldn't shock me if, like, I mean, what if Orgeron doesn't work out? Like, but Ellis, you look at a Dolly Campbell, a forward-thinking guy. Uh, it's a weird fit, but it wouldn't shock I mean, LSU boosters me. wouldn't allow it. Maybe not. LSU boosters, though, like, there's no way that, that, that their next move isn't, like, walk into the biggest Big 12 or ACC athletic department and, like, drag the guy out by his jacket and say you're coming try with to, us. They'll try to do what A&M did, probably. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what and they're going to do. And just godfather off for someone. Yeah. Um, I'm now pulling up the list of coaches where Matt Campbell could land. Like, it is a weird year because there aren't like, a ton of obvious, uh, a ton of obvious like moves up. There's like, like you wouldn't jump. Like, there's a, those weird uh, whispers about like DJ Durkin because of stuff that happened this year, but I don't think he would jump up to Maryland. It's not really a a big leap. That's, that's not really a move. That, yeah, that's not really a move at all. And to be honest, you, you stand a better chance of getting the Big Twelve title game than you do the Big Ten title game from the East Division. Yeah, I assume Maryland probably outbid them a, a little bit, but probably not that much. Maryland's not like super flush. Um, yeah, I'm looking like the Big Ten's pretty stagnant. Uh, I can't imagine, and, and the schools that might lose their coach are are not gonna necessarily have a great chance of poaching uh, Adelie Campbell. Um, and then from there, like Pac-12 is, is there. I mean, a lot the, that whole like conference is relatively new now. Maybe maybe Arizona State gives up on Herm Edwards. After one year, and that would be an interesting spot. Old. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I, I don't expect that to happen. I'm sure Herm will get at least two, probably like six, because that whole situation is so ridiculous. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm not seeing it, but you never know. I'm sure Campbell can find somewhere to go. I'm sure something will surprise somewhere. Um, so I guess uh, to close out, I know we talked about the teams that probably win the, the league. Dan, what do you think the Big 12 championship game is? Uh, the unnecessary Big 12 championship game. It's I hate like, I don't like doing this with divisions. It makes me uncomfortable. I'll go Oklahoma uh, just by default. I don't, I don't think they're head over heels that much better than everyone. Um, I think I'll go Oklahoma TCU. I trust Gary Patterson a lot, and, and I think that that's just like kind of a differentiator. Where Texas, like you said, is is probably a year away, but I do think I, I'm a I'm a uh, top tournament fan. I think he will succeed there i just i think he's probably still got another year and then west virginia i just don't love beyond greer i think they're good i don't think they're great so i'll, I'll go with oklahoma for the roster and tcu for the coach yeah i'll take oklahoma to win it but like while west virginia does have like its toughest games at home that's also a problem it also has some games that are like toss-up ish on the road you know, like Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma State, like those are all road games, and those are all in the back half of the schedule. Like to me, that spells a recipe for disaster. You just can't be that on for that many weeks in a row, and having that sort of gauntlet, like to kind of run through to end the season. Like doesn't matter how experienced you are, doesn't matter how good you are. Like most teams are going to trip up, and I think you could see some weird scenario where West Virginia owns the tiebreaker over maybe both TCU and Oklahoma, but loses their chance in the championship game because they picked up too many losses elsewhere. Oh, we can only hope. I, I'm all for just Big 12 championship shenanigans because it's it's super funny that they have this game at all. Yeah, I also hate West Virginia. So really, that's them, them losing is fine to me. Fair enough. Anyway, um, so yeah, that was it for us. Um, next week, we are talking Big 10. So I like that you've jumped Pac-12 just ahead of a bunch of these conferences. That's because, no, well, because I do it in order of my favorite leagues. This is this is not this is not the Bill C situation where, 
where I, I go league by league based on how good or bad they were. This is literally the ones I want to talk about the most. They're backloaded. ACC, I'm, obviously. I'm surprised Big Ten wasn't this week, then. I would yeah. rather talk about Big 12 and Big Ten. I, you know, I thought about it, but I just figured, like, there's so, there's so many more teams. There's so much more nonsense that goes on in the Big Ten. That's true. The Big gonna... 12, you can kind of, like, we, I mean, we touched on everyone, like, at least a little bit in, yeah. like, not that long. So, I get it. Yeah, well, it'll be Big Ten, then SEC, then Pac-12. Who, who always owns my uh, my late night uh, activities out here, and then and then ACC will be broken down to divisions after that. Sounds good. We are making our way through summer. We are indeed. Hopefully not too quickly because uh, I, uh, we I some, we, we're, we're we're ahead of schedule, so we have we have some time to play with, which is nice. I like it. Um, all right, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Trains and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you may listen to, and go orange. Go orange. The all new Toyota RAV4 asks, What if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier. Registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated.